1: Crazy time as you all know right now for each and every one of us, not just in this country, but around the world as we figure out how to handle this coronavirus and the next move. Obviously it puts a lot of us on hold for the moment. One thing that will not be put on hold is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Up first, Lynn Berlin-Manuel returns to assure all of us that United Soccer Coaches is here for you. Make sure you stay connected. Make sure you know that you can be Connected. Following him, we continue our six part series with the Faith Based Coaches Advocacy Group. This week, we're pleased to be joined by Tom Gerlach. He is the director of soccer and the boys and girls soccer head coach at Christ Presbyterian Academy, a great high school in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And he will talk about culture, why culture is important to a faith based coach, and what is a quote, both and culture. And he'll give you tangible examples on how you can implement a positive culture. You'll enjoy the time with Tom Gerlach, and you'll also enjoy the time we spent with Jim Paulia, who is a longtime brand strategist, and he was instrumental in the name change from NSCAA to United Soccer Coaches. And we'll kick it off with Lynn Burley-Manuel after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap.
0: Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com/nscaa1.
2: This is Dean Linky, and we are kicking off with a special message from Lynn Berlin Manuel, the CEO of United Soccer Coaches. As it is. Kind of a difficult time for all of us to truly understand what is going on. All of us are kind of stopped. We're stuck in the mud just a little bit, and we have to be. We've got to be careful. As you know, I'm talking about the coronavirus and what is happening across the country and across the world. So to open the show, Lynn burley Manuel wanted to spend some time talking to you, our members about this time right now, I guess is best said. Lynn, thanks for being with us.
3: Well, thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Um, It's a traumatic time, I think, for everybody, and it's a time with so much that's simply unknown. Yesterday, United Soccer Coaches, we actually took our office remote, and that was a little traumatic for us. We think it's a, a good opportunity, but it's definitely a new a new normal. We're fortunate in the sense that we are completely connected via Zoom and um, RingCentral with our phone system and our video conferencing system. So, being able to function remotely as an organization is is relatively smooth for us. But that didn't change the trauma of packing up your boxes and taking your files and packing up the computer and and that. Experience is being multiplied across America. Every coach who walks out of their office, every player who walks off the field. It's a it's a frightening time, but it's also, you know, I think we're really looking at it as an opportunity too. Um, this will pass at some point. It simply will. It's the way things work. However, what we do during these weeks and months ahead we'll make a huge difference about how well we all come out on the other side of it, and that's what we're committed to.
2: You've kind of been out front saying, you know, hey, we're here for your coaches. Let us know how we can help. How can you help? Because it's really hard to do anything right now, Lynn.
3: Well, you know, we've jumped in really fast uh, from our perspective. Um, Again, we're well set up in the sense that we are already um, you know heavily involved in the digital space in terms of information, in terms of education, in terms of news. We are immediately really expanding our online resources for our members. We launched two new e-learning courses this last week. Uh, we want to remind our members of their e-learning benefits. There's a you know almost a dozen e-learning courses that are available to them for free as members. The online resource library, which is located on our United Soccer Coaches website, has over 1,200 activities and videos and resources that folks can use now that they have a little time on their hands. I mean, as coaches, time is something we never get. So this is really kind of a unique opportunity to take advantage of that. I don't know about other folks, but... You know, hanging out at my house is not usually one of the things I get to do, and I think that's true for most coaches. Additionally, our Advocacy Council, which many people, many of our members know, has a wide variety of constituency groups that really represent the breadth of members of the association. So there's a college group, there's a high school group, there's a youth group, uh, there's a pro group, there's a group that represents our Latino coaches, our women coaches, our black coaches, our disabled coaches. And each of those groups has really jumped in to kind of connect the community. That is, I think, what's so powerful about United Soccer Coaches and being a member. We are a community. We're not governance. We don't do that. What we are is a community of coaches. So connecting that community via social media, via website, via all the things that we have available, I think is really a, a big step for us. And. And last, one of the things that we are working on right now is an application for deferred dues. We recognize there's a whole lot of coaches that are going to be spread financially very thin. You don't coach. In many cases, you don't get paid. And being able to support keeping you as a member, keeping you involved in the association while we're going through this tough time is something we're going to work really hard to do. You know, we're an association, we're nonprofit, we're not a big company like others, but at the same time, we want to support our coaches in that way. First and foremost, we're here to support coaches, and that's what we do. It's a really important time not to feel alone, and I think that's the, the again, the power of an association like ours is that you're never alone. You are connected to your friends, your colleagues, your peers, and this is a time to really take full advantage of that. So. I hope each and every coach out there recognizes they are not alone because it, it does feel scary. I, I'm sure it does feel scary for each and every one
2: of us. We are on now part three of six with the faith-based coaches. Mike Lynch put together an incredible list of six amazing guests. He kicked it off. And Patrick Gilliam last week talked about servant leadership. This week you're going to hear Coach Gerlach talk about culture Uh, It's been a fascinating series and very uplifting. In fact, the timing for the uplifting message from the Faith-Based Coaches and the Chair, Mike Lynch, and these incredible guests couldn't be better, particularly when we're all kind of walking around a little bit numb. What a great advocacy part of what you're doing there, the Faith-Based Coaches, Lynn. I've really enjoyed this series.
3: Well, the advocacy groups are kind of an amazing phenomenon of our association. Other soccer groups and soccer organizations, including U.S. Soccer, talk about diversity, um, we live diversity. It, it is the nature of the coaching community, and it's diverse in so many different ways. Uh, the Safe-Based Coaching Group is a is a good example. It's one of many, but again, it brings together like-minded folks within the coaching community. Coaching is diverse by its very nature, and for us, it has been a celebration of that diversity, and diversity comes in many forms. It's not just color or gender. It's many forms, and I think that is one of the things that makes us strong as an association and the faith-based group is great and i think people one of the things that's really interesting about the faith-based group and people may not be aware of it they may view that as a christian group and it really is a multi-faith group it is coaches who their faith whatever it may be is part and parcel of their coaching philosophy and it's been a fascinating thing to watch and uh, each of the groups that we have whether they, again, be by ethnicity or gender or interests or coaching level, each of those really bring together like-minded folks within the larger coaching community. It's powerful. And um, and the faith-based folks have done a really good job.
2: All right. So with that, coming up next is Tom Gerlach, Part 3 of 6, with the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group, Lynn Berlin-Manuel, Stay Safe, Thanks for your message, and thanks for all you're doing for all of us. We do appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Dean, and thanks to all of our members. You know, this is a time to hang in there and take advantage of the time you get right now because, ah, frankly, we'll probably never get it again. We might as well use it. Thanks, Dean.
1: Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching.
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team I want to thank the CEO of United Soccer Coaches, Lynn Burley-Manuel, for her update on how the association is dealing with what we're all dealing with, coronavirus, and also appreciated her nice comments about the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group and this six-part series, a perfect lead-in to this week's guest, Tom Gerlach, who is the boys and girls soccer head coach at Christ. Presbyterian Academy in Tennessee in the Nashville area, right, Tom?
4: Yes, sir, right in the smack dab in the middle of
2: Tennessee. We're certainly pleased to be joined by you. And I want to thank Mike Lynch, the chair of the Faith Faith Coaches Advocacy, for getting the six part series kicked off a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about sportsmanship and ethics last week. Patrick Gilliam talked about a man of passion talking about servant leadership, and today we talk with Coach Gerlach about team culture. So with that time, let's start right off with the basic question, kind of open-ended. What is culture? What is team culture? Break it
4: down for us. Culture is kind of the new buzzword. It's, it's around companies, it's around businesses, it's around teams, and so everybody's like team culture, team culture. Every team has a culture. Every business has a culture. It can be a good culture, a bad culture. It can be neutral. It can be, you've heard of toxic cultures. Basically, a culture is uh, made up of values, beliefs, and attitudes that a team shares. It's how people work together towards a common goal and really how they treat each other and treat the team and treat the others. Again, they can be positive, they can be negative, but the culture of your team, in my opinion, really drives the team. A lot of coaches think it's the results-based, that you know, if we win enough, that will generate the culture itself, uh, and I kind of think the opposite. I spend probably 70% of my time and effort in my team culture, which I really feel kind of drives the kind of progression of the team.
2: Because this is part of a six-part series, i got to ask you, why is culture so important to a faith-based coach?
4: Sure. Well, so if you look at sports in general, I coach in the high school level. So if you look at statistics, uh, about 2% of my athletes will ever play my sport outside of my high school field. Uh, and that's actually pretty pretty favorable it's probably less than two percent girls have a little bit higher chance than the guys do and then even above that the percentage drops precipitously uh, for guys or girls that are going to play outside of college so you're looking at investing in something that's finite Uh, it's going to end in either four years in high school maybe uh, four more years in college a couple years in the pros i've been coaching i think 31 seasons and i've had maybe two players that I've known that have gone on to the MLS or higher levels. So if you combine, you know, the hundreds and thousands of athletes that I've been interacted with, really only two have even gone on to that level. So what are we really investing in? Let's say that I make uh, somebody like the best soccer player that they could ever be. They, they know how to kick a the ball. They know how to drive a ball. They know how to trap a ball. They go out of my program being a really good soccer player. That investment is going to end – in about four years. Now, obviously, if they go into coaching, they can train to the next level. But if we're really investing in their lives, if we're investing in their walk, if we're investing in how do you become a better man or a better woman in our program, that's really going to last, I believe, eternally, Uh, especially if you're looking at, as a faith-based coach, in our faith is kind of what drives us. The goal of our program is to win the championships, but the purpose for our program is to reflect Christ. There was a football coach in the 1950s that was asked after he won a national championship, he said, you know, what do you think about your players? And the coach responded, ask me in 20 years. If you ask me in 20 years what my players are doing, as far as soccer is concerned, some of them might be playing adult league or coaching, but the majority of them are professionals or husbands or wives. And so if I can invest, if we as a program can invest in their in their walk in faith, in their their punctuality, in their professionalism, in the way that they treat others, then that's something that can last on and on and on. It means a lot to me when my players refer back to me in, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, talk to me about their kids, ask me about things that they're going through. And so what we're really investing in, I feel, is come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come into my program. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to We're not going to berate you for for making mistakes, but when you leave our program, can you leave our program a better man or a better woman? And in the meanwhile, learning soccer through that whole journey. We're here with Tom Gerlach, the Director of Soccer at Christ Presbyterian
2: Academy, talking about culture as part of our six-part series with the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group. Tom, help me understand this next question as we were thinking about uh, what we're going to talk about, and that is what is a, quote, both and – End quote culture
4: sure first I've heard that was by Michael Ziggarelli who did a book called Messiah method messiah is a, a College up in Pennsylvania that I feel does an incredible job in both their men's and women's program had won multiple national championships uh, in their college program and They have a culture of what's called a both and I was interviewing a potential coach the other day and the coach when I asked him you know, do you have any questions for us? He said, all right, so, Coach, what's more important to you, the Christ base or the results? And my response to him is, you know, I I don't think you have to choose. Michael Zigarelli or the Messiah coaches develop a culture of one doesn't have to suffer in in front of the other. For example, some people think, well, if you're going to be a really good soccer program, you're going to suffer in your – and you're faith-based. Uh, you can't be, you know, a really great Christ-like team, but you can't be a really proper team and have the same skill set that you would on the other. Uh, you, you know, you can have spiritual depth and focus, but also and a high on-field competitiveness. You can have high challenges and high encouragement. And I think some coaches think you have to choose. Do you teach them how to play or do you show them how to live? Well, why can't you do both? Why can't you be a both and culture instead of an either or? And so, what we try to do, and we're we're not always going to be perfect. Uh, you know, we're human, we're fallible. We are competitive. We are we do have a drive. But in this, you know, how can we both uh, bring up our game and be competitive on and off the field, but also develop uh, their walk with Christ in and off the field? My coaching motto is I train young men and women to achieve a high level of skill in soccer performance and moral character using co- commitment of culture to Christian athletics. So we're not suffering on one end by pushing the other. You can look at the results. Uh, Patrick Gilliam is the same way. You know, He's a coach who has extremely high level of success. programs have been very fortunate to be very successful. And So I don't feel that you have to choose. Well, you, you have to either be case-based program or you have to be a a program that has high morals or high character and you can also have results on the field all right tom i'm going to
2: let you um, walk us through this here what are tangible examples coaches could implement and i know you've got six of them i'm happy to hear and i know our listeners are about all six so you take it away plug and play
4: Sure. We actually presented at the national conference uh, in Baltimore this past fall. People were asking, you know, that's great. Uh, you, you know, you, you define culture. You say why you do culture. But what can I take back on my team and actually implement? What are some tangible examples? And so I actually polled my teams because I coach guys and girls. Uh, girls in Tennessee are in the fall. Guys are in the spring. And I said, you know, can you tell me the things that are the most impactful – that you have gone – that you have had through my through my uh, program. And so they responded, and the majority of them came up with kind of three of them, which I kind of wanted to focus on. And the first one is uh, senior leadership. Uh, in Mark ten forty five, it says that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. So, like, what you guys have to understand or what people need to understand is, while this can be done in a secular environment, this is kind of the why behind my what. This is the reason – you know, my, my faith is the reason of why I do things. However, you can implement this uh, in any program, even secular programs. My uh, assistant coach is the head photographer for the MLS team in national. He's also done some national team photography. and He sent me a picture uh, a few months ago of Josie Altidore carrying uh, a, 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 the water jug for the national team. You know, Josie Altidore and Christian Politic actually, were carrying this water jug. And you know, Josie makes 6.3 million, and Christian Pulisic is, is one of the best players to ever come out of the U.S. And here they are carrying the water jug for their team. They're, they're not too good to be doing the duties that, uh, that maybe people think that the new people are going to be. So in our teams, we have what are called servant leaderships. So when I was growing up, the freshmen did everything. The freshmen set up practice, the freshmen broke down practice, this was kind of that rite of passage. But in, in our case, The seniors set up practice. The seniors break down practice. The seniors clean up the locker room. The seniors clean up the bus. They set up the water. They set up the goals. They choose the music. And so they are the ones that are actually kind of driving what this team does. And what we found was that they're really developed a culture that it is not something that leadership is not something that you're entitled to. Um, Their authority is earned. Respect is earned and not given and that every player is important, and that every player is necessary. So when they're seeing these seniors doing the duties that maybe people think are beneath them, then the freshmen quickly jump on board and think, oh, well, this is actually what this team does. Um, we have an expression here called leave it better than you found it, uh, where, you know, when we go to a bench or when we go to a different program, we never want to be that team that leaves the water jugs or the water bottles or the tape left on the left on the, the bench, we always want to be the ones that kind of go there and set the example of, well, when we want to lead it better than we found it. And so the seniors kind of drive this. Um, it shows that leaders are accountable. Um, I'm, I'm going to also be the one that's helping clean up the stuff. Even though I'm the head coach, I'm going to be over there cleaning up the bus. I'm going to be the ones helping out. And it sets the example that, Uh, It allows leaders to empower others so they can accomplish great things. Um, And, you know, we even go as far as the seniors have actually washed uh, the whole team's cleats. Uh, You know, in in the Bible it says Jesus washes his disciples' feet in John. But the first day of the season, the seniors take the guys' cleats and they wash them. And, boy, I tell you what, that is a very humbling experience. Uh, Our freshmen had no idea what was going on. The guys – said, hey, leave your cleats after practice. They didn't know they were going to do something to them, so they took the cleats, and they came to me and said, Coach, you know, because uh, I wash the seniors' cleats on senior nights. Uh, just is something that I've always done at the head coach the night before. The senior night, I take their cleats, and I kind of trying and polish them up. And the, coach, and the seniors came to me, and they said, Coach, you know, we'd really like to do that for our team. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. So we got – about 30 pair of cleats, and went into my room. I'm a science teacher, so we had a bunch of science saints, and we kind of washed their cleats and polished their boots up for the next day just to show them that, you know what, every player on this team is actually very important, even down to the youngest player that we have on our roster. So it sets the tone of uh, the seniors being servants, which also benefits them in their leadership style. Uh, and the girls and guys do kind of the same thing. And, you know, it was difficult, and we're going to talk about this later. It was a difficult sell at first. Um, Team culture, driving a team culture really can be a challenge, especially if people don't buy into it. Um, But our teams have really kind of seen the benefits of that, and it's really gone far. You know, I have so many different examples of – Hazing across the United States, you know, you see the headlines over and over and over again of, of new players coming to teams and they being initiated, uh, you know, they used to shave the freshman's head or make them do things that were demeaning as kind of the rite of passage. And when I first got into coaching back in uh, 1993, I said, you know, what can we do to kind of change that mindset, the old school rite of passage, the freshman duties, the initiation, the hazing, paying your dues, seniors' rule. How can we flip this on its head? So instead of the freshmen coming on board and being scared to death, uh, we initiated what are called prayer partners or prayer groups. Um, you could call them big brothers or big sisters, or uh, you know, mentor and mentees. Some people call them M and M's. And what we do is we intentionally pair classmen especially a senior, with a freshman or a junior with a sophomore, it doesn't really matter, uh, we pair the older with the younger. And it's not just something – I know the girls do this. They've done this a lot in years where they give them treats on game days. But this is something a whole lot more intentional that we do so that these young players are coming and being mentored by the seniors. Uh, the coaches help the seniors kind of mentor them in this process, but it allows these players, instead of having a, a season of fear, instead of playing that, you know, they're so worried they're going to disappoint the seniors or they're so worried that they're going to be blasted by how they play, we do what's called freedom and joy. Can you come out to our, to our practice? Can you come out to a game and play with a, in a spirit of freedom and joy as opposed to one of trepidation or fear? And so all through the year, uh, you know, we usually pair like goalkeepers with goalkeepers and forwards with forwards, so that they can mentor the next generation of, of players. And so for our girls, girls are a little bit more social than the guys. We do what are called prayer partner Olympics, where they 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 have a team of varsity players, so a prayer partner group with varsity, with a prayer partner group with JV. And we pair them together, and they have to come up with a theme of their group. So, you know, we had Harry Potter theme. We had the Four Seasons. We had the Four Apostles. We had Clowns. Something where they, the girls like to dress up. They like to compete. We do kind of an amazing race around Nashville. And it really brings together the team to, so that there isn't kind of a have and have-nots. So the seniors don't feel superior over the freshmen. The JV doesn't feel inferior over the varsity. And we compete all around Nashville And all throughout the year on building these relationships with the players. I know on Mondays we do what are called SMT, Sports Ministry Training, where the coaches have given the prayer partners, the senior prayer partners, questions to ask about, uh, we give about 30 minutes for the seniors to kind of pair off with their prayer partners and ask them questions like, uh, we talk about topics of fear, we talk about topics of identity, we talk about topics of, I know that when, when prom is coming up, uh, we're gonna be doing, you know, how do you treat a young lady? And so we're trying to take, it's, it's coach directed, but player driven. So we're trying to give these kids kind of ideas on how do you start the conversation of, you know, what drives you? Why are you here? What are, what are you really trying to formulate through the season? And it creates a an atmosphere of comfort. It creates an atmosphere of freedom. It creates an atmosphere of you know, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to fail. Um, it creates an attitude of trust. And so these players, as they're coming up through the program, are learning what it looks like to be a leader, what it looks like to be a senior. These are how you treat people beneath you. These are how you treat younger players. Um, with the guys team, we do what is called Christ Premier League, CPL in the off season where we're bringing these guys together. Instead of just training, they do a draft. Uh, everyone is welcome to kind of participate in it. They draft the, the teams in a four separate teams. They have to choose kind of a, a Premier League team. Um, we keep wins and loss stats. And so kind of it brings that kind of competitive culture to it because guys are competition-based, girls are relationship-based. And so how do these guys bring kind of the, again, the both they have the competition-driven – or, you know, they're trying to win the, the league in the off-season, but also the relationship part where they're actually being able to share a lot about themselves. These kids are suffering through a whole lot more than I ever suffered through when I was in high school. The things they go through, especially with social media, it's amazing the battles that they face, and knowing that when they're walking down the hall that they have maybe an 18- or 19-year-old guy who's got their back really gives them a sense of peace. And that's one of the things that we really want to emphasize here is kind of that feeling of togetherness, that feeling of belonging, that feeling of protection, so that when they come out on the field, they know they've got each other's backs. But you have to be very intentional with that time. You have to be able to give some of your practice time a way to do that stuff. Um, and many coaches really don't want to give up that time. Uh, but I feel that that's really kind of the lifeblood. Of who we are um, we really do want to make a difference in our players lives so in order to do that you really have to give time in order to do that and so that's one of the one of the big things that we do in that um, you know <clears throat> spending time and giving giving time over to that can be a challenge uh, I know in you know on Mondays we give about 30 minutes uh, to kind of develop the sports ministry training on that for the guys. The girls, a lot of times in the postseason, since uh, we have a lot of recovery days, we will spend time on, like, words of affirmation for the girls on their prayer partners. The, too often they are hearing too many words of detriment, too many words, kind of lies that they're being told. And what what words can we speak to the girls that they come out of our program? Better young ladies and more affirmed with who they are in Christ and who they are uh, on the field. Uh, it's a it's a transformational coaching as compared to a tra- compared to a transactional coaching. Um, uh, there there's a a book um, called uh, Inside Out Coaching by Joe Ehrman, who is just amazing. Uh, it's an amazing book and it talks about you know we really want to be transformational coaches. When you come out of our program. Will you be a different man or woman than you are when you came into our program? Uh, but there, there are a lot of obstacles in doing that. And, you know, we kind of move into that, that next question. What about this makes it hard? Answer that question for us, please. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's great to say, you know, oh, this is, this is how you do it and it's going to be great and you give you all the tools. And then you know you can have the best meal, you can have the best things and you present it to the players and they've gotta buy into it. Uh like I said, it can be it can be coach driven, but the, or it or can be coach directed, excuse me, but it really needs to be player driven. Um, it's it it takes a long time to change the culture of the team. I really feel it takes between three and four years to really flip the culture on its head and to change it into a different direction that you want to go. Now, on that, it can also, your culture can be derailed very quickly. Uh, you can have, if you allow a toxic culture to uh, kind of rear its head, it can derail in, in one season or even less. And so it does take a lot of time to kind of flip a culture. And so one of my things, one of my challenges to anyone trying to do that is, Stay the course. Um, it takes a lot of energy to to drive this, but it also takes a lot of time. And so it's a long con is what we, we kind of call it with ours. not a short con. It's a long con. It is a lot of investment for a long period overhaul so that you can see the results in about three to four years. And even in that, once you get that culture kind of flipped, once you kind of get things going in the direction that you really kind of want, it's not a hands-off you still got to really put so much of your time and effort into keeping this culture going in the direction that you are. And I I think very strongly that that is about relational uh, conversations that you have with your kids. It's not about how well they drive a ball or how many goals that they scored. They need to know that they are important and loved besides what they do on the field. Um, You know, we we talk so often, we even – and some of this is also about the parents. Parents, you gotta kinda buy into it too. You know, the parents so often are there and, and you gotta tell them like, you are just here to love your kids. And we are here to love your kids. We wanna be the both of them. We wanna love your kids, but you also wanna train them to teach them soccer. So it is really difficult to actually drive this. Uh, again, you can have something that is so incredible, but if you don't, if they don't buy it, it's not gonna work. And so, The way that I found to do that is you invest in them, especially when they're younger, and you kind of just share. It's not something that, oh, I only connect with my seniors. you really got to start connecting with your underclassmen as well, finding out, you know, what they're like, talking to them about something more than soccer. How are you doing? Um, You know, I found that an arm around the shoulder works a whole lot more than a finger in the face. Um when I was a younger coach, I used to be a very kind of disciplinary coach, you know, if you're late to practice, you know, you're paying the price. And I found that some of this is hey, you know, what's going on, man? this isn't like you. What's 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 happening in your life? And they might say, Oh, well, you know, I had a really bad day or you know, my grandfather's not doing too well and you know, there is a consequence for your actions, but also we want to know kinda of what what's going on in their lives. Um the other thing is, you know, what about public schools? Uh, how can I do this? I might be a faith-based coach, but a teach in a public school. Still, the things that you're trying to train them uh, in performance, you know, is, you know, punctuality, commitment, communication, discipline, reliability, integrity, respect, kindness, uh, moral courage. The things that we're trying to train in these kids are the same traits that I would love for them to take into the workforce or into their relationship with their wife or husband or into their uh, relationship as a father or a mother. And so as a public school coach, you can still develop these characteristics. You can still develop servant leadership. You can still develop um, the type of, you know, you wouldn't call them prayer partners, obviously, but the mentor and the M&Ms are different, a big sister, a little sister, because, again, what we're trying to do is can we create young men and women who come out of our program as better uh, better people than they are when they came in? So I guess my, my challenge to those working in public schools is you can still do this. It just takes a little tweaking and maybe a little bit of renaming on that. What if your team doesn't buy into it? Well, you don't just give up. You still just keep on investing and knowing that you're going to get, you, you know, you just keep on going. And, like, we had a guy uh, who really didn't buy into it for many years, and we just kept on investing, kept on investing. And now he's a missionary in Asia. Like, you might not ever see the seeds that come out of your program until years later. Uh, the job kind of is never done. Um you know, we had a, a team, uh, or some of my freshman girls this year, we were down against one of our district components, and she they said to me after the game, because at halftime we were down, and we just said, okay, let's kind of gather ourselves. Our captain had gotten hurt, and so we wanted to kind of regroup, and we kind of refocused. And I had three separate girls text me, and they said, Coach, I have never been at a halftime where I'm down that I have not been yelled at. And they said, this is just such an incredible experience where they felt that, again, that freedom and joy. Um, you know, we ended up coming back. We were very fortunate we came back, and when we won that game, that kind of wasn't the point of it. But the whole point was, you know, we want to develop that culture where when you're in it, um, you face that feeling that, that you're not being judged by how you're performing. Uh, you are still performing in, in, in a great manner, but that you're not being judged for that. And I really feel that that's such an important thing. Uh, Too often these kids are just berated and belittled. You go on the sidelines and they hear it from their parents, they hear it from their coaches, they hear it from everybody, and it's not about that. I really feel that it's about what can we invest in these kids so they come out of our program as better young men and women.
2: How about resources, maybe even reading resources that people can learn more about culture, positive culture, Tom?
4: Absolutely, and one of the things also that I would really highly recommend is, um, you know, especially if you're a young coach, getting in touch with maybe another coach that's been through this journey, um, maybe an experienced coach, somebody who has gone through all this before. Uh, we have kind of a resource. It's uh, it's the faith-based coaches through United Soccer Coaches Association. If people go to at Coach with Faith on Twitter. Uh, there's kind of a form that they can sign up with, which is uh, face based coaches, that they can kind of register and saying, like, hey, I would, I would love to hear more about this. I would love to be connected with maybe a coach that has some experience. So that's one of the biggest things I can do or that we can do as a coaching uh, alliance is how can we help, just like our seniors help our underclassmen, how can the senior coaches help the younger coaches who maybe feel very much isolated or very much alone? Uh, so that's the first thing I would recommend is getting in touch with Faith-Based Coaching Advocacy Group. Again, our Twitter feed on that is at Coach With Faith. It's also on Instagram too. But there are also some great books. I mentioned Joe Ehrman, who actually was in the NFL. His, co- his book is called Inside Out Coaching, How Sports Can Transform Lives. Michael Zigarelli has written two amazing books. The Messiah Method was the first one, and then Soccer Field, Mission Field. Pat Gilliam, who was on the previous podcast, has some great ones. The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, Good to Great by Jim Collins, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, Legacy by James Kerr, and then The 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork by John Maxwell. Kind of just want to let these coaches know, like, you're not alone. There are a lot of resources and a lot of people out there that are very willing to help uh, and the fact that, you know, United Soccer Coaches is is, is allowing us to kind of have these have these podcasts is huge. You know, I would love to have this resource when I was a young coach back in 1993 and maybe hearing from different coaches and reading different things. And so I just really appreciate uh, you guys even allowing us to share our stories, to share our cultures, to share our values on this. It really means a lot to us. And I know Mike is extremely thankful as well to be a part of this too.
2: Tom, really enjoy your message about culture. We also appreciate your kind words about United Soccer Coaches. In closing, what has that organization meant to you, professionally and personally?
4: It's really been such an invaluable asset to me, both as a professional and from a personal standpoint. Uh, You know, being in Baltimore, you're there with thousands of other coaches. You're kind of the same coaches who have shared the same ideals, the same passions with you. And being able to go to different Different conferences, different sessions where people are sharing their stuff. Uh, it's just like these podcasts. You know, if if I was a young coach when I started out, I was around 21. Oh, if I could have had these resources and met with the people who have done this for so many years, and United Soccer Coaches allows that to happen. Uh, the fact that they're allowing us to kind of share with the faith-based coaches is huge. And I really respect them for allowing us to share our faith openly with this Uh, you know this wasn't available 20 years ago so I can't express how thankful I am for United Soccer Coaches to allow us to do this stuff and to be a part of such a huge coaching journey.
2: Well we're certainly grateful for your time and grateful for the six-part series. Tom thank you so much and I look forward to seeing you uh, down the road. Stay safe during a crazy time okay?
4: Yes sir thank you very much.
1: As you heard Tom Gerlach say he has been a longtime member of United Soccer Coaches in fact He was a member when it was called NSCAA. Our next guest, Jim Paulya, was instrumental in working with our first guest, Lynn Burling-Manuel, a few years ago when the NSCA did a brand refresh and changed its name to United Soccer Coaches. Jim will talk about that and other work he does as a nationally recognized brand strategist, having worked with companies like McDonald's, IBM, Disney, the March of Dimes, major universities, numerous soccer manufacturers, Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. I want to thank Lynn Burling-Manuel and Tom Gerlach for being our first two guests. As I showed you at the end of the time I spent with Tom, our next guest is Jim Pauya, who Megan O'Keefe and I were lucky enough to sit down with at the 2020 convention in Baltimore. I want to remind you that he was instrumental in working with Lynn Berlin Manuel a few years ago when the NSCAA did a brand refresh and, of course, changed its name to the name we now go by, United Soccer Coaches. Jim will talk to Megan and I about that and other work he does as a nationally recognized brand strategist, having worked with companies like McDonald's, IBM, Disney, the March of Dimes, major universities, numerous soccer manufacturers, and firms in a host of industries. Jim's expertise is in brand strategy and disruptive marketplace behaviors. His work with United Soccer Coaches resulted in 11 key strategic recommendations. He'll touch on some of those during our interview. Jim was uniquely qualified for the task, not only because of his professional credentials, but also because he has extensive history in soccer, having coached youth, high school, and college teams. In addition, Jim worked in the original NASL and served as the chairman of the board of World Cup Chicago 1994. A number of United Soccer Coaches past sponsors are clients of Jim. And I must say before we hear our interview with Jim as he joined Megan and myself, Jim also is a regular listener to the podcast. He sent a nice note after the time we spent with Hank Steinbrecher, who he, like uh, all of us, love Hank, and it's been great to be connected to this talented man who's had a major influence on soccer in our country. With that, I turn it over to our time in Baltimore, Dean Linky, Megan O'Keefe with Jim Paglia who is the man behind Brands That Stand, is with us now. Jim, good to be with you. You too, Dean. You know the deal, Jim. For years, it was the NSCAA. I used to do the NSCAA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer. I used to say it a million times. You had the whole alphabet soup. Lynn Burley manuel who was on last week, talked about trying to get rid of that alphabet soup. Well, you've known her forever. You even told me you wrote for Soccer America, did a lot of stuff. You worked for ad agencies. But to be fair, you and Lynn kind of got together a few years ago and said, hey, let's rebrand. Brand this thing. outcomes United Soccer Coaches. Tell us as much as you
5: can about everything that happened there and why it happened. Happy to do that. Um, I've been in the brand business for many years and worked with a lot of prominent clients you'd recognize. And when Lynn and I started talking about it, it was very important that she appreciate that when I talk about brands, I'm not really interested in logos and trademarks and those types of things, or the image management side of it. I'm really interested in the brand behaviors. What is it that you do strategically that makes you appealing to a specific audience? And so when we took on this engagement uh, with the association, I said to her, I want to really focus on your behaviors and the things we can do to make it much more relevant to the coaching community and to the other stakeholders. I'm not really interested in whether or not we spread the name. I don't want people to be confused by the fact that awareness is not affinity. And I wanted to help them create greater affinity for the, the coaches association. So in the process, I interviewed over 100 coaches around the country one-on-one and spent a great deal of time with them, told them that it would take about 15 or 20 minutes, but I would give them unlimited time if they wanted it. No coach took less than 45 minutes with me. Most of them took an hour and a half. And we covered a variety of topics. And I leave it pretty much open-ended and say to them, what is this brand to you? What is this association to you? And then they would respond and and we would build off of that. I would let them take it in any direction they wanted. And out of those interviews, I distilled it. I have a process that I call brand arc and ARC stands for authentic, relevant, and consistent. And I actually trademarked that because I want people to understand that for any brand to be relevant, consistent, and authentic, you're gonna have to put some work into defining your behaviors. So that's the process that I go through. And I focused on that, and then I did a report back to Lynn and her people and said, here are the things that are most relevant, consistent, and authentic to your members. And in that process, I found 11 key points. Um, I'm not at liberty to divulge all of those, that's hers to do, but I can tell you we've only scratched the surface of those 11. But one of them that we talk about all the time that she's, you know, she and I talk about publicly, is that it became very clear to me that within the association they promoted themselves as an education organization, and I found that not to be accurate. And my work, I found that it isn't an education organization, it's a learning organization. And there's a huge difference between being the teacher, which they wanted to see themselves as, and being an organization that helps facilitate learning among, among other parties. And I realized that the coaches want to learn from each other. That's so critical to them. And that, And what I wanted the association to do was to spend more time Integrating coaches' discussions, helping them talk across some of the barriers that exist, but also within some of the mindsets. If you're a high school coach, why couldn't they organize some small sessions within a day's drive for high school coaches to talk about issues that are relevant to them Mm -hmm. and continue to look for those opportunities to, to build that environment? That's one of the 11 issues, but let's talk about moving our messaging from being an educator to being an environment of learning. That's what branding is to me. I love it. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's outstanding. Yeah, I think it's really cool that you obviously essentially bring the audience together and you get their perspective and what they want. I think that's obviously so important when you're working in a business like that. And how important do you see that as really just incorporating the community so that it can move forward? Oh, there's no question about it, that this is all about building community. And that community is typically represented by a variety of stakeholders. It's not just the coaches. So I'll give you an example. If you talk to coaches today, and many of them will tell you the worst element of it is parents. That is so offensive to me. Parents are not the problem. Coaches are the problem. We create the environment for parents. So the example I give, I give this speech quite a bit, is that no six-year-old has ever come and signed up for soccer on their own. They've always been brought by an adult. And the minute that adult enters the coaching environment, they're, in many cases, they're shoved aside. They're not brought in. They're not part of the community. What they're told is, I'm the smart soccer person. You're not. You don't know soccer. You have to be taught soccer. Nothing is more offensive to me than suggesting we have to teach parents about soccer. We don't. You wouldn't walk into a science classroom and say, you're an ignorant parent, you don't know science, so I can't, I can't engage you because you don't know science. So we go through this process where I say to them, why is it any different in my teaching environment? Um, I'm teaching soccer. You wouldn't go in and insult a science teacher, and, or a science teacher wouldn't talk to their parents and say to them, oh, you don't know science, so just, you know, go, go, go away. Um, One of the expressions I hear a lot from coaches that I don't appreciate is, give me your kid, give me your money, and shut the heck up. That I find so offensive. And so my point has been, we the coaches have created this hostile, toxic environment, and now we blame the subjects, the parents. We need to create a better environment for them from day one. And if we were to do that, the game would be turned around. Last year alone, a million and a half registered soccer players dropped out of the game. A million and a half. And so when I ask coaches, where did they go? They give me lame excuses about, oh, they're into esports and other things. That's nonsense. I don't care where they went. I wanna know why they left mm-hmm. and what we have to do to keep them. And we're not doing enough on the coaching level to do that. So Lynn approached me a second time and said, Jim, you know, I can see your fingerprints on this thing with the NHL. The NHL has a, uh, a series of disciplines that they instituted about a year and a half, two years ago. And I was tangentially involved in writing that. And these are the things that the NHL wants every coach and every official NHL entity, whether it's their pro teams or their youth teams or their ice rinks. You have to agree to these principles. And if you do, you can have the NHL and impermutter on it. So Lynn said, I see your handwriting all over that. And I said, well, yeah, I was tangentially involved in that. She goes, could you do that for us? So we sat down and brought together another large group of coaches and at this convention, we spent a whole day together and we focused on what are the key elements of being a better culture. And we identified seven things. And then we built that into a program that was launched at this convention last year, which is called the Coach's uh, Cornerstone of Conduct. Uh, I think I got that name right. But that's how we started out. Um, And my point is that if you can subscribe to these seven things, you will have a better culture. And number one was, let's have some fun. It's always gotta be fun. This nonsense about kids have to be coached constantly. It's ridiculous. And let me also say, I track the, the rate at which kids come into the sport and when they leave the sport. So for over a decade, soccer has been the number one entry sport. And it's usually four, five, and six-year-olds. That's the highest number of any sport that come into soccer. That's been going on for over a decade. And it's easy to explain because there are so many females. And they don't necessarily play those other sports at four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. They're not playing hockey. So that's good, right? But then I look at what age do they drop out of the sport. And it used to be at 14. You could predict that mm-hmm. because high school and other you know, social activities take over. And over the years, that number has continued to decline then it was U12, then it was U10, then it was U8. Last year, for the first time in history, the highest number of uh, players who drop out of the sport were U6. So they come in at six years old and they quit at six. Why? Because we, the coaches, have started this awful toxic culture. So I had a woman call me, and she's one of my neighbors, and she said, I understand you're a very accomplished, distinguished coach, you've coached at every level, blah, blah, blah. She goes, my daughter was just told by her coach that she's fallen behind in her skills. And if we don't fix that, she's gonna be cut. And we've spent $2,800 a year for her to play soccer, and we wanna protect our investment. And I thought, okay, that's an odd set of words, but go ahead. And she said, what can you do for us? And I said, well, what are you looking for? She goes, we'd like to hire you as a private tutor. Can you help her improve her skills? And I said, well, I actually don't do that. But I've been coaching women and, and girls for 40 years. So I'd like to meet her. And I'd like mm-hmm. to find out why she plays. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me more about her? And the woman said, yes, well, let's start by telling you she's six years old. Mm-hmm. And I said, you have a six-year-old daughter, and I don't know whether I'm more upset with you <laughs> or the coach who you let tell you that your Great daughter point. was failing.
0: Mm. Yeah.
5: And I said, that's so offensive to me. Mm. I said, you can't do that to a six-year-old. You can't tell a six-year-old they're failing. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, shame on you. Shame on that coach. Yeah. And she said, well, we want to protect our investment. I said, let's start by protecting your daughter. Yeah. Mm. That's where we start. And I have to tell you, I see it all the time. So I, I said, I still want to meet her. She goes, okay, we'll meet in two days. Two days later she calls me and she goes, nope, you don't have to bother, she quit. Oh. Six years old and she's left the sport. Mm. That's, to me, the biggest problem we face, is how do we build an environment, a culture, as you described, a community culture, where people recognize that we're not like a car wash. You don't take a bunch of players and you run them through, wash, rinse, and repeat, wash, rinse, and repeat. That's the way a lot of coaches operate. Bring me the best players, all I'm doing is culling the herd, looking for the good players, and everybody else goes away, because I want to make more money. That's got to go away, and what we have to do is start operating more like a church when things go bad in a church, the congregation moves closer together. Mm -hmm. They share that burden. If your team was losing in soccer, most of the players and their families would desert you. That's not a church. That's a car wash. Mm -hmm. And I want to fix that in our sport. I want us to be the place where we pull people together, where we create this commitment, where people say, this is my club, come hell or high water, and I'm going to stay with them no matter what. Yeah, so I'll stop. I'll stop there. I'm well, sure. That's you, more than you asked for. Well, you're a fascinating, man, <laughs> and in fact, we we'll need to have you back
1: as well when we even have more time. But before we let you go, I know you said you're less about you know what the logo looks like and that type of thing. But at the end of the day, a new name came out of it. That's right. We're now United Soccer Coaches, and anytime you've got a new name, not everybody's going to be in love with it, right? You're going to have some naysayers and that type of thing. So, as three years into it now, I think it is, or at least. A, you're, Almost three years, right? United Soccer Coaches.
5: Um, What's your take on how it was received? Well, I can tell you I've named hundreds of companies and brands and products, hundreds of them, and done hundreds of logos. I've owned major graphic design firms as well. And I can tell you it takes time for that to sink in. And it's not about them becoming familiar with it or getting comfortable with it. It's about creating an experience for them. And when they associate a specific experience, they will begin to gravitate toward it and an affinity will evolve. And there are still some people who call it by its old name, but I think we've reached a point, a tipping point, where people have come to understand that we are, we're past the old identity, we're at the new identity. But the key to that, and I keep emphasizing this with Lynn, is we must constantly reinforce the experience, and that will become so much more important. And I say to her all the time, Would you have been impressed if somebody told you they wanted you to invest in Google 25 years ago? What the hell is a Google? (laughs) Yeah. Right? But they created an experience. If somebody said to you Starbucks 30 years ago, you would have said, what's that? Yeah. but I, I would have said it with my wife's bank account. There you it. go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's about creating experience. I my
4: Christmas gifts.
5: <laughs> and, and, you know, Starbucks does virtually no advertising. Right. They created a world of experiences, and now they have how many tens of thousands of stores. Mm-hmm. I good. want us to be in that same camp where every coach says this is the greatest experience. And if we can do that, the parents will say it. So I gotta give you one more quick example. So I worked with this group, Zara, and I created a program for them called No Victory Without Honor. And what we do is we give every team a flag, a teardrop flag that they can bring to the field and they can put on the stanchion. And they keep that flag as long as they meet certain criteria, both on the field, the players, the sideline, and the parents. And it has to do with yellow and red cards. So we tested it in Southern California with 900 teams. A 10 week period we cut their red cards by 80% mm. wow. we cut their yellow cards by 50% yeah now th- that's c- so critical because if they screwed up if they got the wrong number of points they would lose the flag mm-hmm. right yeah. and they motivation. knew that mm-hmm. the yeah. motivation was there and we created a different culture so a couple of things happened in that process after the 10 weeks they said well we're gonna do it for another 10 weeks because it was so successful but we don't expect 900 teams this time they'll probably be fewer Well, no, now we got closer to 1,500 teams. And here's the bigger issue. We got more referees the people who didn't want to ref because the games were so yeah. tense yeah, yeah. are now coming and saying, this is a joy. It's, yeah. working. It's, yeah, working. it's working. So you see the ripple effect of a good culture. Yeah. That's what I want to get to in soccer It's how we, how we touch every stakeholder with that ripple. Appreciate that. Thank you guys. Thanks for making a difference real quick. Your website, www.brandsatstand.com.
1: So there you have it. I want to thank all of our guests, Jim, who you just heard from Lynn Berlin Manuel; Tom Gerlach, part three of our six part faith-based series speaking of that next week as part four we will hear from jennifer myrie who's the head women's soccer coach and swa at anderson university in indiana jennifer will be talking about team care connection and commitment that's next week in part four of six as part of the faith based coaches adequacy group led by Mike Lynch. I also want to thank Sean Chevro and Mike Knipper and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. Stay safe out there. I know it's a crazy time, but we're all in it together. And with that, I'm Dean Linky. See you same time, same channel next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap.